Welcome to Energy Renewed, a podcast by ICF, a meeting of the minds in renewable energy where people come together to discuss ideas and synergies to propel the industry forward. I'm Katie Janik from ICF and the host of Energy Renewed. ICF provides technical advisory services to lenders, investors, and project owners for renewable energy technologies and processes. In this podcast series, we will consider varying viewpoints, ranging from policy topics to equipment components. Hi there. In this episode, we are discussing the impact of COVID-19 on owners and developers of renewable energy projects. We are in an unprecedented situation, and as consultants and generally within the industry, we are asking how is COVID impacting operational projects and project sites? Today, we have Heidi Larson, who leads the ICF technical advisory team within ICF's commercial energy division, and Kevin Christie, who is COO of North America at LightSource BP. We are going to talk about the current situation from the perspective of developers. Heidi, do you want to introduce yourself? Hi, Katie. Thank you. I'm excited to be here with you and Kevin today and sharing on this essential topic. As you mentioned, my name is Heidi Marie Larson, and I lead the technical advisory practice. Our practice provides independent engineering and owner's advisory support uh, for investors, developers, and project owners. For the past 12 years, I've been involved in the renewable energy industry, supporting development, construction, and operation of solar, battery storage, and wind generation assets. Across our team, we support all types of um, power and, and renewable fuels and fuel assets. Great. Thanks for being here. Kevin, do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, sure. Hi, Katie. Hi, Heidi. Hi, Katie. Uh, Kevin Christie, CEO of North America for LightSource BP. Uh, LightSource BP is a global developer, financier, and owner-operator of solar projects. Uh, And we are 50% owned by BP and 50% owned by uh, the LightSource shareholders, uh, employee shareholders of LightSource. Great. Thank you for being here. And so maybe kind of taking the different phases of a project, right? If you have financing, construction, operations, let's work a little bit backwards and start with operations and maintenance and L&M. Given the the impact of COVID-19, what changes have you seen to project sites and to operations and maintenance from the project perspective? Sure. So maybe I'll take that first. Uh, As I might have mentioned uh, before, we do uh, comprehensive O&M uh, in the UK, everything from uh, the low voltage up to high voltage. And when the UK first came out with their uh, COVID-19 guidelines, uh, we found that uh, there were um, it, the guidelines for social distancing were pretty strict. Uh, you had to stay, you know, six meters apart from uh, other people uh, at all times. And we identified a handful of uh, activities that could not be performed under those guideline conditions. And so there were a number of uh, preventive maintenance routines and corrective maintenance routines that uh, just had to be postponed uh, because of those working rules. Um, you know, subsequently, those have been uh, modified and we've been able to get out and get back to work. But that was uh, probably the, the first big uh, initial impact. I'd say the uh, second one were construction site uh, shutdowns. And uh, we experienced one on a 200 megawatt project in Spain. Uh, we also had a shutdown of um, three construction sites in uh, Pennsylvania. Um, <clears throat> 
Fortunately, that only lasted for a few days because uh, we were able to approach the governor's office and provide um, additional assurances and context about the degree to which work could be performed safely uh, in an outdoor environment. Uh, and also that uh, the work that we were doing was part of, um, of you know, infrastructure, which uh, they had initially uh, said was uh, an essential work. So we were able to get to the project sites uh, and the workers on those sites reclassified as essential workers. Uh, and uh, you might recall that early on there were also um, pretty severe travel restrictions and that in Pennsylvania people weren't even supposed to be uh, on the road uh, traveling if they didn't have a, a good reason. And so we had to provide um, a printed letter uh, on company letterhead signed by our CEO uh, giving our uh, construction manager approval to uh, travel around in his truck and, and visit various project sites. Uh, and then um, another issue that we had to navigate was state-to-state uh, -state restrictions uh, for a project that we had under construction in Kansas that was finalizing, which ultimately meant that uh, I believe ICF couldn't go to the site, uh, our director of engineering couldn't go to the site, our project manager, uh, who was based in Colorado, could not go to the site, uh, the SCADA commissioning teams could not go to the site. And so we had to figure out how to do all of that work um, over the internet uh, virtually. Um, but we were able to, to get that done and the site even uh, ended up coming online a little early. And what, what were some of the impacts to preventative maintenance site visits and corrective work site visits? So that was in the UK, um, as I mentioned. And, uh, and you know, those, I, I can't say that those lasted long enough so that uh, they threatened um, the, you know, warranties on any uh, warranted equipment. Um, but uh, it, it does, it, it did result in, you know, a lot of scheduling delays and, you know, lumpy workloads and such. So I think it was more of a logistical issue uh, in the in the longer term. Uh, it was a safety issue in the near term, but as I said, the, the safety guidelines, you know, have been updated over time. And so when I hear logistical issues, I think force majeure. Uh, have you seen an increase in force majeure notices? Uh, there certainly were. Um, I wouldn't say a, a flood, but there was a spike in force majeure notices uh, as countries started shutting down. Uh, first in Asia, there's like uh, Thailand, Singapore, uh, China, and other places instituted manufacturing shutdowns uh, that had knock-on effects in some of our uh, equipment orders. Uh, so we had to track uh, anticipated delays on that front. Uh, I feel like that has largely washed through the system at this point. Uh, but, you know, on a regular basis, we do track uh, globally um, any material delivery concerns, any force majeure notices that we've received. Uh, and I have to say right now, things seem to be flowing fairly smoothly. Um, but we do have, you know, lingering concerns, especially here in the U.S., but even uh, increasing concerns uh, as other countries who believe that they had largely defeated the virus are finding uh, that, that it's resurging in places. Yeah, Kevin, Katie, that's certainly one area that has held more attention for our team lately. We've been spending significantly more time on force majeure and working through the interlinking technical requirements that may show up across various commercial agreements. Everything from the potential of equipment delivery delays for projects under construction to, as Kevin alluded, with this dynamic situation and depending on how long it continues, impacts or effects on product warranty as, as preventative maintenance um, periods are, are missed or need to be delayed. 
and of course across to impacts that might occur in offtake agreements or credit agreements with regard to various milestones. I think clearly there's the potential for cascading impacts and one of our aims of late has been to lend our technical expertise to evaluate what those impacts might be. Anecdotally, we have seen several projects that, that had sort of one of the most obvious occurrences of force majeure notices from equipment suppliers as, as kind of the primary example. But we've had also some projects where new construction utilities issued force majeure notices with regard to construction of the interconnection facilities for which the utility is responsible to bring the project online and concerns about getting those done and, and impacts to the project schedule. We even had one project that had some unique permitting constraints in timeline, and there was COVID-related delays that were bumping up against uh, some of the deadlines and milestones related to permitting. And so we had to start thinking about how that could be adapted and, and what um, contingencies should be made. In most cases, uh, Kevin, as you alluded to, we haven't seen issues that materialize into significant delays to, to the coronavirus just yet. But again, just a few examples of, of things that we're trying to help evaluate and manage with scenario planning and, and contingency evaluation. And shifting over to maybe earlier in the project life cycle for construction and site visits. And Kevin already mentioned some impacts to um, getting to construction sites. What, what changes have you seen from the COVID situation for construction, the construction phase and site visits? Kevin? Yeah, so uh, there's been a number of uh, safety innovations we've seen uh, out in the field. And I'd say it starts with having a single point of entry for the site. Uh, doing symptom screening uh, questionnaires, temperature checks, uh, establishing hand washing stations uh, throughout the site, um, having you know firm rules for how people congregate on the site. So we've moved away from enclosed break rooms, uh, having people be you know outside as much as possible, um, you know mandatory mask wearing across the site. Uh, social distancing rules, and then just basically trying to make the, the sort of uh, safety accommodations uh, that uh, that you have to make for for you know for doing your work uh, as safely as possible. So, uh, for instance, is that is when you have to move people around the site, um, you kind of have to violate the uh, social distancing rules because uh, people are you know it's, it's hard to put people two meters apart inside an enclosed vehicle. Um, but, you know, they'll be wearing masks and, and uh, there's a rule site that uh, people have to move around in uncovered vehicles. So open air vehicles, uh, because I think we have come to understand, uh, especially in the, I'd say in the last weeks and months, that the risk of transmission is much higher uh, indoors than outdoors. Uh, and in fact, uh, the only COVID infections that we've had reported uh, on any of our job sites uh, was uh, several people who worked together in a construction trailer uh, and they all became infected um, and all recovered and came back to work. So that was, uh, that was fortunate. Katie, for, for us in our work, site visits have been one of the biggest areas where we've had to adapt. Um, as Kevin alluded to earlier, tracking and managing state and local requirements, 
balancing our corporate policies and restrictions, and then also honoring the protocols of our clients and and their um, programs that they have in place to try to protect um, workers on site. In fact, going back to early March when it became pretty evident that this was something that was going to impact us in some way, though I don't think it was clear what, we started thinking through that and developed a virtual site visit protocol. And this is because sponsors that we're working with needed to be able to continue their construction, just as, as Kevin was talking about on, on their project in Kansas and Pennsylvania and um, draw down on their construction loans or meet other funding requirements. And so the plan we came up with is really two parts. The first outlines criteria and requirements for a successful virtual site visit. And it's evolved a bit over time as we've iterated and conducted some of these. And the second piece being a site and visit specific requests. So depending on the project and exactly what we're trying to achieve with the visit, we develop a request with clear indications of documentation through photo or videos that we'd like to collect. If connectivity and, and data availability is good enough, we've even arranged for live site walks via video conference platform, which has been working pretty slick. So we work through that in advance, both parts, and then we collaborate with our clients to collect the necessary information and review it and and kind of carry on with our work. And it's been working reasonably well. Um, I know it's going to sound cliche, but the the safety is is just got to be a top priority, not only for our team and our clients and other stakeholders. Um, There have been projects that have had to shut down because they've had COVID outbreaks. Um, and whether or not that's from outside folks with that beyond the core construction group coming into the sites or not, you know, may or may not have been determined, but we certainly don't want to be contributing to that. Absolutely. And you both have mentioned different regulations and guidance, whether it's by country or by state, um, whether it's by the client or internally, um, so it's it's a matter of balancing all these different regulations and guidance to figure out a path forward. What changes have you seen internally within LightSource or Heidi within ICF um, that have been a result of COVID? Well, uh, we are all still working from home. Uh, we're ta- have been talking for some time around uh, how offices would reopen, uh, and it's a it's a different story not only for each different country that we're in, but each different locality uh, that that we're in, right? Um, I think we've learned a lot about what we can actually do working remotely, and uh, that is definitely influencing the decision around um, how quickly and uh, how big to come back to work and how to be thinking about, you know, commercial real estate um, part of our business going forward, right, as I'm sure a lot of people are. Yeah, I mean, one change for us, just to bounce back real quick to the site visits, is we've been leveraging ICF and our, our technical advisory practice um, have 
team members distributed throughout the country, which we've found is, has been working quite to our benefit in, in many regards where we're able to, instead of putting somebody on an airplane, um, dispatch somebody to, to rent a car or drive their own car to a site visit and limit that air travel. Um, as far as, you know, the day-to-day office work, and I'm using air quotes that folks can't see, but our team started for a pretty good place. Um, most folks had home offices or, or workspaces that we were just able to leverage into um, full-time work from home. Uh, for the foreseeable future, we'll continue to work that way, but the last few months have taught us some good lessons learned, and I, I think we've hit a nice stride. I would say one of the things that I continue to, to hear comments about, and Kevin, I think you and I have discussed this before, is sort of an increased level of, of busyness because people aren't traveling or we don't have that symbolic delineation through a commuter otherwise for starting and, and stopping the workday. In some cases, folks have shifted their schedule to start earlier and end earlier, or later and end later, you know, depending on personal needs and, and child care and situations. And so there's sort of this ever um, everlasting workday. Yeah, I think we've all had a very similar experience in that regard, uh, Heidi. I, I think uh, just about everybody I talk to um, who's, you know, fortunate enough to, to still, you know, retain the job that they had prior to uh, the COVID outbreak um, and saying that they're busier than they ever were before. Uh, and I, I think there's some dynamic, I'm, I'm sure, just around uh, the inclination of people to schedule more meetings uh, than they did before because they don't have the sort of chance encounters in the, in the office. Um, but I have to say, I'm, I'm probably have probably five or six hours of the typical day booked out for meetings and I kind of have to squeeze my work in uh, around those. Yeah, it, it has been, I, I feel like, um, a, a steep learning curve and I have the um, impression that we're going to continue to be working through ever adapting situations and scenarios as we are hearing news that this virus that has, you know, subsided in some areas is re-emerging. So no shortage of opportunity for innovation, I suppose. Yeah, and this virus is not done with us uh, just yet. So it's, uh, it's hard to predict the future, um, both in terms of when is the vaccine uh, going to be broadly available? Is the virus going to mutate? And what kind of um, you know country level, state level, lower, local jurisdiction level um, rule changes are going to impact us into the future uh, that might restrict our ability to travel or even our ability to do construction? Uh, we, we may not have seen the last of that as, uh, as countries try to you know flatten uh, you know new emerging curves. And I think that this will be on the forefront of everyone's mind. I mean, this is part of our daily life now, and it will be for the foreseeable future. And so thank you so much for being here. I'm glad that we were able to do this.